0: Wow. Well, uh, thank you for braving the frozen tundra out there, getting there this morning. Oh, my goodness. Freezing cold uh, for us Californians. I'm glad you're here this morning. My name is Dane, if you're new. Uh, I'm the family pastor here at VCC. And we have spent our uh, Advent season, Christmas season, uh, reflecting upon loss and grief in this series called Out of Loss. And we're going to wrap up that series today. Uh, We're going to look at the example of St. Paul, the Apostle Paul. We're going to fast forward a bit. Who had decades to reflect upon the manger and the cross and the lowliness and the loss that Jesus um, faced. And Paul rather boldly invites the Philippians to follow his example of how he faced and embraced loss. Um, And so what we're going to see today is that the way to eternal life, the way to fellowship with God and with others, like the best thing, the thing we're all really looking for, the way to that is through loss. And we've talked about all kinds of loss, loss of loved ones, loss of expectations, loss of faith, loss of... Uh, an old life, uh, loss of a status quo, right all, all sorts of loss, but in all of them, in all kinds of loss, the way out of loss is the same. In, if joy is to be experienced, loss must be embraced. To know Christ is to know loss. If joy is to be experienced, loss must be embraced. to know Christ is to know loss. We're going to come back to that several times together this morning to really hope, hopefully it really sinks in. Uh, but we have a lot of scripture to read, okay? So uh, if you would stand on up, if you don't have a Bible with you, there is one in your, in your seat under, oh no, it's not underneath you, it's in front of you, okay? Uh, in front of you there is a pew Bible, uh, and we will be reading on page 981. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. And we're reading the entirety of Philippians chapter 3. Love this chapter. All right. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord, says Paul. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I skip one. As to zeal, <laughs> a persecutor of the church. maybe Paul would want to skip that one too. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Amen. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this, <laughs> or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature, same word as perfect there above, think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained, Attained. Brothers, verse 17, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many, many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. May God bless the reading of his word. Have a seat. I got for the first time ever to pick my passage. I was really excited. I was like, I know where I'm going. This is a good one. Um, Okay, so let's pick it up. Verse 1 and chapter 4, verse 4. So the passage begins, Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. That's what Paul wants for his brother's and his sisters in Philippi, and this church that he he really loves. He wants joy for them. He wants them to experience, to embody the joy of knowing Christ together in community. He says it over and over and over again in this letter, he says, look, it's not no trouble for me to repeat myself, and you need to hear it, <laughs> okay? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice. As Paul says elsewhere, you probably know the verse, right? If, if we don't have love, what do we have? Nothing, <laughs> right? If we don't have love as believers, we have nothing. And we might add here that if we do not have joy... We don't have love, right? Love must have all the fruit of the Spirit. Joy, peace, patience, or it's not love, right? Christians are to be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. A joyless Christian is an oxymoron. A joyless Christian does more harm than good, okay? So no matter the circumstances, Paul says rejoice always. Stretch that joy muscle, Practice, find reason in Christ to celebrate, to party. There's plenty. Okay? But then, verses two and three, Paul shifts gears. Rejoice, but look out. Some people are going to try and steal your joy away. Some people are going to crash your party. Some people are going to kill the mood. (laughs) Watch out for the dogs. Who are the dogs? It's kind of a mean word. We like dogs. Jews didn't like dogs, okay? There's, <laughs> there's not a single positive verse about dogs in the whole Bible, okay? It uh, was not a nice word. Uh, who are the dogs? Well, the dogs are a group of Paul's fellow Jews, okay? So Paul's a Jew, who claim to have faith in Jesus, but have not embraced loss. They refuse to lose their sense of cultural superiority and the privileges that it brings in the church. They reject Paul's message that there's no more Jew and Gentile. They don't like that message. So these guys say, no, no, no. You know, outsiders of the covenant, non-Jews, they're dogs. They're evildoers. And if you don't validate me, in this case by getting circumcised, then you remain a disgusting dog to me, even even if you believe in, in Jesus. Now, That, of course, would be a little upsetting, right? Very upsetting and not exactly conducive to the joy of fellowship, right? Um, So Paul says, you know, actually, these guys that, you know, call you dogs, that bully you, um, they're the real dogs you got to watch out for. They're going to bite you. So remember, for joy to be experienced, loss must be embraced, To know Christ is to know loss. And these dogs want a Christianity that has nothing to do with loss. They want Christianity without a cross. Christianity without loss. But instead, it's a Christianity that forces others to be just like them or be gone. And Paul knows the game they're playing. Why? Because he's one of them. (laughs) He's one of them. Verses 4 to 6, Paul boasts, ironically, of his credentials. Not only was he one of them, but by their standards, he was the best of them. Right? He was the captain of the team. He was the valedictorian of the school. He was the president of the club. <laughs> but in order to know Christ, Paul had to lose it all and a sense of superiority that came with it. In order to experience the joy of fellowship in Christ's church, Paul had to embrace loss. So let's slow down here and examine Paul's mindset much more closely so that we might follow his example in the year ahead. So verses 7 through 11, we'll spend a little while here. So Paul says that he counts everything as loss— Because why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. Uh, This is important. This is a synonym for eternal life. Paul used that term. John uses it a lot. Okay, they're synonyms, okay? Jesus said this in John 17, 3, when he's praying to the Father. He says, this is eternal life. Eternal life is to know God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Eternal life is knowing Jesus. And so Paul, Paul's not only saying what should be obvious here, okay? That his credentials are worthless compared to eternal life. Right? That's kind of obvious, right? Like his credentials that get him access to this little club <laughs> pale in comparison to knowing Christ, to access to eternal life. He's not only saying that, he's saying something much more dramatic. He's saying that in order to have eternal life, in order to have eternal life, he had to consider whatever gain his credentials got him as loss, and in fact consider the credentials themselves as rubbish which is a very quaint nice english translation of a very nasty greek word we'll just call it trash which is even nicer than the word he uses okay so in order to know christ in order to have eternal life paul had to toss everything that like made him paul he had to toss it all in the trash in order to experience the greatest joy imaginable, he had to suffer what seemed to him like the worst loss imaginable, himself. Why? I, I've, this is my favorite book of the Bible. I've been thinking about this for like a decade now. Uh, and I feel like I'm starting to understand what Paul's saying here, and it, to be honest, it scares me a little bit. <laughs> so let's dive in. Let's put it this way. The reward of a relationship with God is a relationship with God. Okay? The reward of a relationship with God is a relationship with God. Knowing God is the point. It's the point. Like, that's where the joy is experienced, okay? So in the end, it's not a business transaction where you, like, serve God and then he spits out eternal life on you, okay? God, Father, Son, and Spirit is eternal life. So union with God, knowing God, is eternal life. But if you think about it, and as we'll see in a second, to know someone completely, completely, always involves loss. Why? Because in that encounter, you change. And in change, there's always loss. And, and since we never, ever come to completely know God, or anyone else for that matter, completely, eternal life, you might say, is a journey of unimaginable, even eternal loss. Eternal life, eternal loss. And that may not sound like good news, And in fact, it's not good news to this, like, imaginary little self (laughs) that we construct and we cling to apart from Christ. But it is the best news of all to what C.S. Lewis calls our real self. If that's difficult, um, the Bible's own analogy is marriage, okay? Getting married involves loss. It it involves some loss even at first, okay? There's the loss—think about getting married— There's a loss of your so-called freedom, right? There's, uh, for many, most women, like the loss of a last name. There's uh, the loss of other options, (laughs) other fish in the sea, right? Other futures is often the loss of friendships through that change in your life. Here's the thing, though. You might, like, willingly lose all of that for sex, (laughs) You might lose all of that for the money, you know? It's a calculated loss. You haven't actually attained, right, the true joy of marriage. And what's the true reward of marriage? Knowing your spouse. It's knowing and being known deeply by your spouse. To truly know your spouse involves a great deal of loss and even risk. All right, like first you must be disillusioned. You lose the illusion of the person you thought you married. Well, the married people say amen, right? You lose the illusion of the person you thought you married. Many people get divorced at this point uh, because they didn't realize that loss was like a part of the package, you know. But it is inevitable when you marry another sinner, and unfortunately that's everyone on the market, okay? But even still, let's say you embrace that loss. There is still... One more loss that you haven't embraced. So you still haven't reached the joy of truly knowing one another. And it has your marriage stuck. What's that loss? It's you. Yeah, it's you. You must die if your marriage will live. Sounds very familiar to something Jesus once said. This is why Paul said marriage involves a cross. He singled out men when he said that. I don't know why. Maybe our damnable pride or something, right? Carry your cross. So, in order to experience the reward of marriage, the unique joy of knowing and being known by your spouse, it involves embracing a cross. How much more does knowing Christ involve a cross? Christ's whole life is a story of loss that ends in a cross. His whole life. Being born as a human in a lowly manger, loss of divine privileges, loss of family, loss of disciples and friends, somehow utterly forsaken even by God on the cross. Unimaginable loss. And so to know Christ is to know loss, is to pick up our cross and follow him on that journey of loss. And Paul says this is his goal. This is Paul's goal, he says. He puts it this way, to become like him in death. You want to become like Christ? Are you sure? (laughs) Becoming like him in death in verse 10. And he uses a lot of other phrases here, okay? Um, gaining Christ, being found in Christ, the resurrection from the dead, the prize. But don't get confused. He's talking about the same thing. Eternal life. The joy of knowing and being known by Christ. And to experience that joy, Paul had to suffer the loss of all things, for the joy set before him. Right? As we read in our call to worship, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. So, it's at this point in verses 12-16, to Paul makes a crucial clarification. He says this. He says, I'm not saying I'm there yet. Okay? I, I've not reached the goal yet. I have more to lose. Okay? I'm mature enough to know that I still need to mature. But, he says, I'm pressing on. I'm carrying my cross for the sake of Christ because Christ carried his cross for my sake. I'm doing the hard work of denying myself in love because Christ first loved me. He says, I know I'm not there yet, but I'm on my way. Verse 13, one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. It's a great New Year's verse, right? Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. Um, It's really important we see it in context, though. So Paul presses on toward the goal, the prize, being known by God, knowing God. That's what lies ahead. But what lies behind? What lies behind for Paul? Well, it's his old life. It's his old life as a Pharisee before he met Jesus. Now think about that old life, Paul's old life. There part of parts of that story that might tempt him toward pride when he thinks about it, right? When he ruminates on his old life as a Pharisee. When he th- thought about his righteousness and his zeal, that might give him some pride, you know? But there's other parts of the story that might make him feel ashamed, such as his murderous persecution of his fellow believers. You ever think he thought about seeing Stephen get stoned to death? Right? Overseeing that? You ever think Paul might have been tempted to, to dwell on that, become discouraged and depressed? Right? He says, No. Do you know what prevents us from the joy of knowing and being known by God? By our spouse? By even a trustworthy friend? What prevents us from being known is two things. Pride and shame. Pride and shame that keep us in hiding. And every single one of us, like Paul, has a past with ample cause for both. Paul Paul just lays it out. He says, this is my past. It's a mixed bag. I was very impressive and the chief of sinners. That's me. The second, Paul might say, I let that give me an inferiority complex on the one hand or a superiority complex on the other. I slam the gates of heaven in my own face. As the angel at the gates of heaven just read this in uh, Dante's Divine Comedy says, he says, to look back is to go back outside again. To look back is to go back outside again. Or as C.S. Lewis, again, there are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. So Paul chooses to forget. He counts as loss. He refuses to ruminate on, to dwell on, to abide in the things in his past that tempt him toward either pride or shame. He's not going to think about them. Rather, he takes every thought captive to abide in Christ by setting his mind on the hope of heaven. So as we close this chapter, verses 17 through 21, he's going to invite the Philippians to follow his example and learn to do likewise, to think like him, to think like Paul, to think in light of the cross. He says, brothers, join in imitating me Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, the other apostles. For many, many, and he's talking about Christians here, many whom I often told you and now tell you even with tears actually walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. Mind minds set on earthly things. Paul's mind is set on heavenly things, but many, many Christians, many Christian leaders have their minds set on earthly things. Why? They're still playing the old pride and shame game. And Paul's not like trash-talking here, okay? He's, he weeps as he denounces these people who have refused to embrace loss, And thus have become enemies of the cross no matter what they confess and then he reminds the philippians that their citizenship is in heaven they're citizens of heaven and their savior is jesus christ these are very pointed words the context is important here why does he bring up citizenship philippi was a colony of anyone know Pretty big empire at this time. Rome, yeah, good. Colony of Rome. And this gave the Roman citizens in Philippi great pride, sense of cultural superiority. Uh, For this reason, Philippi was a popular place, actually, for veterans of the Roman army to retire to. And then, of course, on the other hand, you have non-citizens, you have slaves in the community who would experience shame and a sense of inferiority. Paul knows this is exactly what destroys community. What destroys the possibility of knowing and being known. And so he reminds them, listen, you're citizens of heaven. And your savior is Jesus, not Caesar, whom they would have called savior. So just like many Jewish members of the community needed to give up their sense of cultural superiority so too did the prominent Gentile citizens need to embrace a similar loss for there to be genuine fellowship among them, for the church to be the church. They needed to decouple their Roman citizenship from their citizenship in heaven. They needed to see their Roman pride for what it was, idolatry, worship of another god, and learn to count it as trash, And suffer the loss of all things for the sake of knowing Christ and seeing Christ in their brothers and their sisters. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So You know, um, Philippi is sometimes called Paul's favorite church. Um, Or sometimes it's called the healthiest church in the New Testament. And it's true that It's a more pleasant read than, uh, you know, Galatians or Corinthians, where there's some wacky things happening uh, in the church. But if you read closely, there are cracks in the foundation in Philippi, too. There's tension in this church. Right after this, Paul's going to call out two women by name in this letter. uh, And he's going to encourage them to agree. Euodia and Syntyche. He's going to encourage them to agree how? By reminding them that their names are in the book of life. Their names are written in heaven. Effectively, this is what he says. If you two have eternal life in common, how important can your differences really be? If you two are going to be together for eternity, it's kind of silly to fixate on the earthly things, right? You see, do we believe that? Steve believes that. Amen, right? Ah, I don't know. A lot of us don't. A lot of us don't. And in fact, what COVID has revealed is that many, if not most, Christians are beginning to identify more closely with their opinions, political and otherwise, than their so-called beliefs. And this sense of cultural superiority on the left, on the right, and in the center, is everywhere. And it's made fellowship amongst difference, which, by the way, is the church by definition. Fellowship amongst difference, increasingly difficult. And this is the sense of loss that many of us, myself included, I think have felt most acutely. Like, the loss of not knowing other people's opinions. (laughs) Like, just being friends, just being family, just being brothers and sisters in Christ, but all the judgment flying everywhere constantly, it's, it's a big loss. It's a loss. Um, but The good news is, there's a way out of this loss, I think. So three applications as we begin to close. Number one is this, embrace loss. Embrace loss. Uh, In order to experience joy, you must embrace loss. We'll start with a really small, literal example, (laughs) okay? Uh, Many believers have tried to mitigate against the losses and chaos of the pandemic in ways that have, like, literally cut them off from their neighbor, okay? So maybe you've literally put, like, a bumper sticker on your car, or a sign in your yard, or a post on social media that effectively says, I'm on this side of humanity, the right side, and the other side of humanity is dead to me. Like, you've literally done this thing, okay? Some of these symbols literally couple together the faith in your political tribe. Watch out. So for you, this might be quite literal. Embrace loss. Lose the bumper sticker. Don't share the post. Put it in the trash, because it's trashy. It's not helping anyone. It's boasting. Put it in the trash. Second, and this is the way out of loss, hope. Some of us need to make a radical shift to practice taking our minds off this stuff that tempts us toward anger and self-righteousness and pride and setting your mind on heavenly things. J.I. Packer, uh, he, um, he uh, suggested meditating on heaven for 30 minutes a day. That's probably above most of us, so just try one minute, <laughs> okay? One minute a day, all right? Uh, here's C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. I'll quote him at length. Hope is one of the theological virtues, This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. Any of you think that when I said that? But one of the things a Christian is meant to do, it does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. That's a prophetic word for us in 2022, friends. Set your mind on heaven. Finally, and this is actually, I think, how you learn to set your mind on heaven. Watch who you watch. Watch who you watch. How do we change in life? Well, science tells us primarily we unconsciously imitate those who we watch. That's how we change. Starts as babies, we think it stops at some point. It doesn't. <laughs> That's why, you know, spouses often become, even like look like each other in a creepy way sometimes, you know? Because uh, you, you, you don't choose to do it. You unconsciously imitate those we watch, but we, we can make a conscious choice of who we watch. So Paul says, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the enemies of the cross who want a Christianity without loss who want to maintain their sense of cultural superiority. And by the way, (laughs) this trash might be the majority of the media you currently consume. Facebook groups, Instagram accounts, podcasts, news stations that teach you to abide in self-righteousness. It's outrage porn. Rather than the righteousness of Christ that comes by humble faith in the hope of heaven, of being broken. That's who Christ is near to. Watch out, Paul says, for them. But keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example of the apostles. So we'll close with this question. Who who do you know that has experienced great loss and yet exhibits joy and grace? Who do you know like that? I can name many people in this community. One that's meant a lot to me for the last decade is Pastor Sid, um, who lost his wife when he was young and who had decades ago experienced terrible personal betrayal, and yet he just emits joy consistently, even in his grief and his loss. And I remember in my early 20s, like I disagreed with Sid in everything, politically and theologically, but I was like, I just want to be like you. (laughs) And so I just spent time with him. So who's that in your life? Choose to spend time with them. And so in closing, friends, Jesus, don't miss this. Jesus loves you. Your names are written in the book of life. He has called you his own. So press on to make it your own. None of us are there yet. None of us are there yet. So press on to make it your own. Embrace loss. Set your mind on heaven. Watch who you watch. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, we need to hear it. Rejoice. Rejoice. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church community um, that has loved me and shaped me over the years, and uh, God, thank you that you, uh, as your word says, when we are faithless, you remain faithful, for you cannot deny yourself. What a beautiful truth, God. You remain committed to us. You let us go through the roller coaster, the ups and downs of this life, and you are there waiting patiently for us to step off the roller coaster and walk with you, Jesus. And so, um, Father, I pray that as we um, confess and commune together, now that you would open our eyes. as it happened for the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, that in the breaking of the bread, their eyes were open and they they recognized you, Jesus. May we recognize you. May we see you in this moment. May we offer you the worship that you deserve. May we be like Paul, crucified to the world and the world crucified to us. Not because we're not concerned about our neighbors, but we know, Lord Jesus, where our worship, where our attention needs to be. It's on you. We love you. It's a privilege to be called your children. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.